Section 13 of The Light That Failed. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ted Newton. The Light That Failed by Rudyard Kipling. Chapter 9, Part 1. If I have taken the common clay and wrought it cunningly in the shape of a god that was dig the clod, the greater honour to me. If thou hast taken the common clay, and thy hands be not free, from the tent of the soil thou hast made thy spoil, the greater shame to thee, the two potters. He did no work of any kind for the rest of the week. Then came another Sunday. He dreaded and longed for the day always. But since the red-haired girl had scratched him, there was rather more dread than desire in his mind. He found that Maisie had entirely neglected his suggestions about line work. She had gone off at score, filed with some absurd notion for a fancy head. It cost Dick something to command his temper. "'What's the good of suggesting anything?' he said pointedly. "'Ah!' but this will be a picture a real picture and i know that kami will let me send it to the salon you don't mind do you i suppose not but you won't have time for the salon maisie hesitated a little she even felt uncomfortable we are going over to france a month sooner because of it I shall get the idea scratched out here and work it up at Kami's. Dick's heart stood still, and he came very near to being disgusted with his queen, who could do no wrong. Just when I thought I had made some headway, she goes off chasing butterflies. It's too maddening. There was no possibility of argument, for the red-haired girl was in the studio. Dick could only look unutterable reproach. "'I'm sorry,' he said, "'and I think you make a mistake. "'But what's the idea of your new picture?' "'I took it from a book. "'That's bad to begin with. "'Books aren't the places for pictures, and—' "'It's this,' said the red-haired girl behind him. "'I was reading it to Maisie the other day "'from the City of Dreadful Night.' Do you know the book? A little. I'm sorry I spoke. There are pictures in it. What has taken her fancy? The description of the melancholia. Her folded wings as of a mighty eagle, but all too impotent to lift the regal, robustness of her earthborn strength and pride. And here again, Maisie, get the tea, dear. The forehead charged with baleful thoughts and dreams, the household bunch of keys, the housewife's gown, voluminous intended and yet rigid, as though a shell of burnished metal frigid, her feet thick-shot to treat all weakness down. There was no attempt to conceal the scorn of the lazy voice. Dick winced. But that has been done already by an obscure artist by the name of Jira, said he. How does the poem run? Three centuries and three scores ago, 
were fantasies of his peculiar thought. You might as well try to rewrite Hamlet. It won't be a waste of time. No, it won't, said Maisie, putting down the teacups with a clatter to reassure herself. And I mean to do it. Can't you see what a beautiful thing it would make? How in perdition can one do work when one hasn't had the proper training? And if fool can get the notion, it needs training to drive the thing through, training and conviction, not rushing after the first fancy. Dick spoke between his teeth. You don't understand, said Maisie. I think I can do it. Again, the voice of the girl behind him. Baffled and beetle-back, she works on still. Weary and sick of soul, she works the more. Sustained by her indomitable will, the hand shall fashion, and the brain shall pour, and all her sorrow shall be turned to labor. I fancy Maisie means to embody herself in the picture. Sitting on a throne of rejected pictures, no, I shan't, dear. The notion in itself has fascinated me. Of course, you don't care for fancy hair stick. I don't think you could do them. You like blood and bones. That's the direct challenge. If you can do a melancholia that isn't merely a sorrowful female head, I can do a better one, and I will too. What you know about melancholias? Dick firmly believed that he was even then testing three-quarters of all the sorrow in the world. She was a woman, said Maisie, and she suffered a great deal, till she could suffer no more. Then she began to laugh at it all, and then I painted her and sent her to the salon. The red-haired girl rose up and left the room laughing. Dick looked at Maisie humbly and hopelessly. Never mind about the picture, he said. Are you really going back to Kamis for a month before your time? I must, if I want to get the picture done. And that's all you want? Of course. Don't be stupid, Dick. You haven't the power. You have only the ideas, the ideas and the little cheap impulses. How could you have kept at your work for ten years steadily is a mystery to me. So you are really going a month before you need? I must do my work. Your work? Bah! No, I didn't mean that. That's all right, dear. Of course you must do your work. And um, I think I'll say goodbye for this week. Won't you even stay for tea? No, thank you. Have I your leave to go, dear? There's nothing more you particularly want me to do, and the line work doesn't matter. I wish you could stay, and then we could talk over my picture. If only one single picture's a success, it draws attention to all the others. I know some of my work is good, if only people could see. And you needn't have been so rude about it. I'm sorry. We can talk the melancholia over some of the other Sundays. There are four more. Yes, one, two, three, four, before you go. Goodbye, Maisie.
Maisie stood by the studio window, thinking, till the red-haired girl returned, a little white at the corners of her lips. "'Dick's gone off,' said Maisie, "'just when I wanted to talk about the picture. "'Isn't it selfish of him?' Her companion opened her lips as if to speak, shut them again, and went on reading The City of Dreadful Nights. Dick was in the park, walking round and round a tree that he had chosen as his confidant for many Sundays past. He was swearing audibly, and when he found that the infirmities of the English tongue hemmed in his rage, he sought consolation in Arabic, which is expressly designed for the use of the afflicted. He was not pleased with the reward of his patient service, nor was he pleased with himself, and it was long before he arrived at the proposition that the queen could do no wrong. It's a losing game, he said. I'm worth nothing when a whim of hers is in question. But in a losing game at port, said, we used to double the stakes and go on. She do a melancholia. She hasn't the power or the insight or the training, only the desire. She's cursed with the curse of Reuben. She won't do line work because it means real work. And yet she's stronger than I am. I'll make her understand that I can beat her on her own melancholia. Even then she wouldn't care. She says I can only do blood and bones. I don't believe she had blood in her veins. All the same, I love her, and I must go on loving her. And if I can't humble her inordinate vanity, I will. I'll do a melancholia that shall be something like a melancholia. The melancholia that transcends all wit, I'll do it at once. God bless her. He discovered that the notion would not come to order, and that he could not free his mind for an hour from the thought of Maisie's departure. He took very small interest in her rough studies for the melancholia when she showed them next week. The Sundays were racing past, and the time was at hand when all the church bells in London could not bring Maisie back to him. Once or twice he said something to Binky about hermaphroditic futilities, but the little dog received so many confidences, both from Toppenhow and Dick, that he did not trouble his tulip years to listen. Dick was permitted to see the girls off. They were going by the Dover night boats, and they hoped to return in August. It was then February, and Dick felt that he was being hardly used. Maisie was so busy stripping the small house across the park and parking her canvases that she had not time for thought. Dick went down to Dover and rested a day there, fretting over a wonderful possibility. Would Maisie, at the very last, allow him one small kiss? He reflected that he might capture her by the strong arm, as he has seen women captures in the southern Sudan, and lead her away. But Maisie would never be led, 
she would turn her gray eyes upon him and say, Dick, how selfish you are. Then his courage would fail him. It would be better, after all, to beg for that kiss. Maisie looked more than usually kissable as she stepped from the nightmare on to the windy pier in a grey waterproof and a little grey cloth travelling cap. The red-haired girl was not so lovely. Her green eyes were hollow and her lips were dry. Dick saw the trunks abroad and went to Maisie's side in the darkness under the bridge. The mailbags were thundering into the forehold, and the red-haired girl was watching them. "'You'll have a rough passage tonight,' said Dick. "'It's blowing outside. I suppose I may come over and see you, if I'm good?' "'You mustn't. I shan't be busy. At least, if I want you, I'll send for you.' But I shall write from Vitry Sumani. I shall have heaps of things to consult you about. Oh, Dick, you have been so good to me, so good to me. Thank you for that, dear. It hasn't made any difference, has it? I can't tell a fib. It hasn't in that way. But don't think I'm not grateful. Damn the gratitude said dick huskily to the pattern box what's the use of worrying you know i should ruin your life and you'd ruin mine as things are now you remember what you said when you were so angry that day in the park one of us has to be broken can't you wait until that day comes no love i want you unbroken all to myself Maisie shook her head. My poor Dick, what can I say? Don't say anything. Give me a kiss. Only one kiss, Maisie. I'll swear I won't take any more. You might as well, and then I can be sure you are grateful. Maisie put her cheek forward, and Dick took his reward in the darkness. It was only one kiss, but since there was no time limit specified, it was a long one. Maisie wrenched herself free angrily, and Dick stood abashed and tinkling from head to toe. Goodbye, darling. I didn't mean to scare you. I'm sorry. Only keep well and do good work, especially the melancholia. I'm going to do one, too. Remember me to Kami, and be careful what you drink. Country drinking water is bad everywhere, but it's worse in France. Write to me if you want anything, and uh, goodbye. Say goodbye to the whatever you call um girl, and can't I have another kiss? No, you're quite right. Goodbye. Or she told him that it was not simply to charge of the mailbag incline. He reached the pier as the steamer began to move off, and he followed her with his heart. And there is nothing, nothing in the wide world to keep us apart except her obstinacy. These callous nightbirds are much too small. I'll get Top to write to the papers about it. She's going to pitch already.
Maisie stood where Dick had left her till she heard a little gasping cough at her elbow. The red-haired girl's eyes were alight with cold flame. He kissed you, she said. How could you let him when he wasn't anything to you? How dared you take a kiss from him? Oh, Maisie, let's go to the ladies' cabin. I'm sick, dreadfully sick. We aren't into open water yet. Go down, dear. I'll stay here. I don't like the smell of the engines. Poor Tig. He deserved one. Only one. But I didn't think he'd frighten me so. Dick returned to town next day, just in time for lunch, for which he had telegraphed to his disgust. There were only empty plates in the studio. He lifted up his voice like the bears in the fairy tale, and Toppenhow entered, looking guilty. Shh, said he, don't make such a noise. I took it. Come into my rooms, and I'll show you why. End of section 13